0: Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure. And the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned word of God, for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we give this moment to you. So something else that came out in the question and answer time when it was revealed that not everyone watches our videos. Um, we can track who watches our videos. <laughs> and uh, I'm not naive enough to to know that every click means a view, but uh, just thought we'd put the information out there. Um, as we conclude our series on the giving tree um, with this sermon, I would request that you would say a prayer for me. Um, difficult week, and so sometimes that makes it hard to stand up and do things like this. And so I request your prayers this morning. Um, ah, when thinking about our passage, This morning, I have always thought about fruit as the way a person lives, the actions that they take in life. I was immediately struck when studying today's passage when something stuck out. I molded over that here, fruit is associated. With words. It's important to note the context and not just assume it's any words. However, I would like to tie this to church life as we experience it after unpacking a bit of context. According to the author of Matthew, right before our passage, Jesus heals a demon-possessed person who was unable to see or speak. The possession had physically taken over this individual so much that it affected the ability to communicate. The religious leaders who witnessed this claim that Jesus operated with the power of Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Jesus is calling out the religious leaders here For associating God's work with the devil, for blaspheming against the work of the Holy Spirit. And according to the book of Matthew, Jesus says, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. This is a major problem because by claiming this work to be demonic, they are calling the Holy Spirit demonic. This is not only blasphemy, it is a sin that cannot be forgiven because it ultimately destroys a person's ability to recognize and respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders missed the mystery. They already lacked the experience and ability to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of people's lips and lives reveal the character of their hearts. Likewise, as the church since the church is made up of people, the fruit of our lives and lives reveal the character of the church's heart. The two must coincide. Some of the controversy surrounding the giving tree is that people were recognizing parallels between what unfolds in the story with their traumatic experience in relationships. The objectifying of the tree. The reduction from equal enjoyment to a one-sided, unbalanced relationship where this once bountiful, fruit-bearing tree is reduced to a mere stump. A place to sit for the one who dwindled the poor tree down to nothing. It's controversial because it hits close to home and it hurts. We recognize the abuse in the story. We recognize the abuse in our own stories. Here's the thing. When we objectify the church, we tend to demonize it when it seems to not meet our expectations. The thing is, the Holy Spirit is moving and is active. Too often we miss the work of the Spirit because we are so busy concerning ourselves with which branch to climb swing from, finding the juiciest apple on the tree, and how we might use the object for our advancement. It's easy to reduce the church to a place, to an object. The thing that I've always appreciated about the giving tree is how Shel Silverstein personifies the tree. Notably female, the tree is selfless and nurturing and benevolent. Merriam-Webster defines benevolence as disposition to do good, an act of kindness, a generous, When we think of benevolence in the church, it's easy to go to corporate thinking. The offering that we lay on the altar on Communion Sunday. The gift cards that we give to those who come to the door. The Gospels say that Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The benevolence is more than the money and the gifts that we give. It is the fruit of our lips and lives. As the church, we should live benevolent lives, doing good, acting with kindness and generosity. The fruit of our lips and lives reflect the character of our heart and collectively nature of the church. In youth ministry, I had the opportunity several times to go and work in Dallas, Texas at Mission Arlington. And I've probably told this story before, and if I have, I think it is worth repeating. Um, <laughs> so I took a group from rural Georgia to the Metroplex, And we were serving, delivering furniture with this mission. And I had the privilege of driving a box truck with two of our youth. And I say I had the privilege because it was the only box truck with no side view mirrors on the lot and a broken latch. And so we did the best we could on the interstate. Couldn't see the lanes beside us, what was coming, but we had to change lanes. So we acted on faith. (laughs) And so, uh, as we had dropped off furniture, we had had some great interactions with people. Um, They were very thankful for the gifts that Mission Arlington was providing for them, most of it furniture, heavy heavy furniture. And so we get to our second-to-last stop, and we have a humongous couch that we have to deliver. And so we pull in, we look at the sheet, we realize that it's on the third floor. Our only option in this case was stairs with a landing to each floor of the apartment complex. I don't know if all of you have watched Friends, but think about the uh, couch episode with Pivot. So we we tried that. It didn't work. So there's three of us. Uh, Myself, a guy named Jamin, who was very tall and very strong. And then a freshman in high school named Brian, who was very small. And so we developed this plan that Jamin and I would go to the landing and try to pull, after we stood it up, try to pull as best as we could to the top and have Brian push. It worked. We got to the first first landing, no problem. So we ran back up to the second. We continued this process I did, after the first landing, help Brian push instead of pull. But Jamin, with all of his might, had to hold the couch while I ran up the stairs to join him to pull it up. So we did this for three floors. Successfully. It was great. So then we get the couch and we set it outside the door. A knock on the door. No answer. So... I knock on the door again, we wait, no answer. So I look at the clipboard, and I look at the sheet, and there's a phone number on it. So I call that phone number. A lady did answer, and she was at work. And I said, hey, we've got your couch here. We've just brought it to the third floor. We've sat it outside your door. Would you like for us to leave it for you? She says, what color is it? (laughs) It was a beautiful maroon couch. She responds and says, that's not going to work for me. So, down three flights of stairs we went with this couch. And we loaded it back up into the truck with no side-view mirrors. And we drove it all the way back to Mission Arlington. Once we arrived to Mission Arlington, Matt Hart, who was the volunteer director, was standing out. And he said, you brought a couch back. I said, we did. Let me tell you about it. And so I told him all about bringing it up three flights of stairs. I told him about knocking and no answer. And then I told him about calling this lady. And before I could get to what she said, he said, let me stop you right there. I don't need to hear what's next. Because if I do, I will lose sight of the mission." I wish that I could say that that moment transformed me. But I regularly still find myself distracted from the mission when I fail to acknowledge deeper needs. It's not what we give financially for the church to meet financial needs, but also how we interact. With one another are present in times of chaos and joy, and how we walk together. I feel that we are in an age when the world needs benevolent listeners. Benevolent. Benevolence is about how we respond to one another's burdens and pain. It is an openness to dive into the depths and beyond the surface. The surface consists of shallow things. And our focus on our individual benefits. We can easily do just that and be happy, but the church suffers much like the tree in the story. Last week, we looked at some of the staggering statistics facing the future of the church. We talked about the hope that we have for the future as long as we know the risks that we face and do something we have a responsibility to future generations to be benevolent with our time, our talents, our resources, to build authentic relationships and open <clears throat> and safe places to share doubts and questions, to break bread together, and to be about the work of Christ's Church and all that we do. As we unpack how we might be unbalanced in the church last week. We talked about how easy it is to fall into routine that centers around us and our comfort. One thing that the boy misses in the story is that the tree wants his presence. The boy enjoys the gifts he receives from the tree and stops coming for a time. When those gifts are no longer readily available, there is always an ongoing need in the church for adults to volunteer with the children and youth. One common thing that always comes up when seeking volunteers is this common phrase I've already done my time, it's someone else's. Or they don't want someone my age in there. A few weeks back, we talked about a plentiful harvest and a shortage of workers. Last week, we talked about our mission to make disciples of all people. There is no question that this church loves the next generation. When I think of last week's statistics, that 40 million youth today will have left the church by the year 2050. And the research done by the Fuller Youth Institute, that the thing that keeps young adults plugged in is authentic relationships where questions and doubts are shared. It is clear that we have A balance, we have to have a balance of benevolent words and benevolent action. Shel Silverstein wrote, The boy loved the tree very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older. And the tree is often alone. The future of the tree goes beyond church programming and is steeped in deep relationships. We are accountable when our words and our actions are unbalanced. And the world takes notice when this occurs. John Wesley's commentary on today's passage says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For if the fruit is good, so is the tree. If the fruit is evil, so is the tree. For the tree is known by its fruit. As if he had said, Ye may therefore know me by my fruits, by my converting sinners to God. You may know that God hath sent me. You may perhaps think God does not so much regard your words. But I say to you that not for blasphemous and profane words only, but for every idle word which men shall speak. For want of seriousness or caution for every discourse which is not conducive to the glory of God. Often, it is our words that break the rule to do no harm, whether intentional or not, misunderstood, taken out of context, and unexplained. In Matthew 5, as part of What is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says that Jesus said, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yes is a word with a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility. As we enter the Advent season next week, as we wait expectantly and anxiously for the Christ child, the ultimate example of benevolent love. May we be attuned to the voice of the Spirit and how we are called and empowered to kingdom work that all may know the Prince of Peace. After a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I am too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I am sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting. And resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. And in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Scripture, he states Matthew 10 27 through 30 in this way. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation. Coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does nor the Father the way the Son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life.